Father, thank you so much for all the many blessings you've given us. Thank you for this time together. We do pray that you will help us to uh, not just pray about people once in a while, but that we will keep them on our hearts, keep Mr. Ernie on our hearts, uh, keep Miss Marie, as she does so much, and she's still striving to do all she can and take care of her husband. Father, please be with the Daniel. Uh, just to have a young baby uh, having surgery at this uh, stage in life is challenging for parents, family, the baby. But I pray, God, that we know you are the great physician. And uh, you are the one that can heal, that can do incredible things. And I pray that you will guide and uh, help his recovery to be speedy and quick. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me tell you a story. There were two engineers who applied for the same job at a computer company. They had identical qualifications, and so to determine which one they would hire, they gave them both uh, a same test. The company did. So each did well, and they both missed the same question. They got nine questions right, and they both missed one, the same question. So the manager called in the guy and explained to him, the first candidate, Based upon the results of the test, we're going to hire the other guy. So the guy said, why? We both had the same amount of questions that we missed. One. He said, yes, but on question number nine, the first other guy wrote, I don't know the answer. And you replied, neither do I. <laughs> so he didn't get hired. <laughs> The first candidate had enough knowledge to at least say, I don't know. But the second guy was relying upon the first guy's knowledge. Sometimes you can get away with that. Sometimes you can get by on somebody else's knowledge or understanding. But there are times when there is no substitute at all for your personal knowledge in certain critical areas of life. Likewise, in your Christianity. There is no way we can live off of somebody else's faith. We can't live off of somebody else's answers, their belief in God. You know, even as a teenager, you know, you come to church because your parents have you come to church, blah, blah, blah. But you still need to learn about God on your own. When you get to campus, nobody's making you do all those things. You got to have your own convictions. It's about you and God, not about somebody else's relationship with God for you. And this is what he talks to us about in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Real faith, personal faith, goes beyond just knowing there's a God. Even the demons believe there's a God and they shudder. Faith isn't about knowing that there's a God. But look at what else. And see, this is what we read in Hebrews 11 and we sometimes just, oh yeah, I believe in God, so this doesn't really apply to me. But let's look at the whole sentence of what he says there. Anyone without faith, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Amen. We got that one down. You're sitting here in church Sunday morning. Praise God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. You good on that one? And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is the one we kind of drift off a little bit on that. Some people say, well, how do I know what God's will is? Well, let me tell you the secret. God's will is whatever he promises in the Bible. That's God's will. 
You say, well, I'm not sure what it is. Well, read your Bible and you can be sure what God's will is. Now, do you believe what he says here? He rewards those who earnestly seek him. One of God's will, one of part of his will is to reward you if you earnestly seek him. Now, you got to let that sink in because that we don't grasp that enough. God's will is to reward me? Yes, absolutely. That's what the Bible says. If you earnestly seek him, he is desiring to reward you. Well, I don't feel rewarded. You don't feel like you're seeking either. If you're not seeking, you're not going to be rewarded. Well, how can you say that, pastor? Because the Bible said it. Clergy, if you not just believe in him, but you earnestly seek him. It didn't say if your spouse earnestly seeks him for you. If your mama earnestly seeks him for you. Or your daddy earnestly. If you earnestly seek him. Why am I at quiet time all week? That's not earnestly seeking him. I did get three days this week in there, a prayer. That's not earnestly seeking him. You go about four or five hours without food. See how earnestly you seek some food. See, you got to think about it. He earnestly seeking God. You know, example I can say, I believe in my wife. That's totally different than saying, I believe I have a wife. See, I can say, I believe I have a wife, and you be like, no. And then I'll show you a picture of her. You be like, only in the kingdom of God could you get a woman like that. Because there are some great women in the kingdom of God, and only in the kingdom of God will we be able to have such a great woman like that. Then I can say, yeah, I do. Here's a picture of her. Here, let me FaceTime her to prove it. So I'm not just getting a picture off of Facebook and pretending to be my wife. It's really her. You can talk to her. If I say I believe I have a wife, that's what you could do. But now if I say I believe in my wife, now I'm saying I trust her. I trust her even with my life. That's the difference in saying I have a relationship with God and saying I believe in God. You can know God, have a picture of him all on your house and hanging up, wearing a cross on your necklace. But that just means you know who he is. Everybody know who LeBron James is, but you ain't going to his house and hanging out. You don't know him like that. It's the difference in knowing stats and credentials than knowing the person himself. And that is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking to us about. Look in verse 8. Hebrews 11 verse 8. And by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would rather later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. See, to say, I believe in my wife, I trust her with my life. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about hero after hero who bet their life on God. Abraham. He went to a place he didn't even know where he was going, but that was supposed to be his inheritance. Now, could you imagine 80? Not many people in here are 80 years old. But they say, okay, it's time for you to move. And I need you to move to somewhere in Iceland. Where? Iceland. I-C-E land. Iceland. And do what? You'll find out when you get there. Now, that thought alone, you'd be like, nah, nah, nah. Nah, that ain't happening. But Abraham said, you know what? I trust 
and God. I'm going to do it. We look at verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. He didn't even, again, you're in the desert. You don't even know what flood is. But yet, he trusted God and built an ark. What's an ark? I mean, and the size of it. I mean, having all these animals. He just trusted God with his life. And he followed it. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. And this is what I want us to understand. Let's turn over to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to take a look at a man who did not have very much faith. He was living off of other people's faith, but he had to come into grips with his own personal faith. 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a story of Naaman. He he was a very successful guy in his day. I mean, if he lived in our time today, he would be equivalent to one of those superstars, one of the actors, or big sports figures. But he was an incredible guy. But he had a problem. His problem was he had leprosy. Now, if you have leprosy today, you can get treatment with medication and different things. Back then, they didn't have such things. It was simply, you would die a horrible, slow death. In 2 Kings chapter 5, look in verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl of Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and I, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his, with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Let me stop there for a minute. Because here's Naaman. Again, great man, but he had the leprosy issue. His whole life would have been different without that leprosy. But he's willing to try whatever it takes. And he hears it from this slave girl. Because she knows there's a prophet, there's a guy that can take care of your situation. Just go there, let him work with you, let him tell you what to do and do it and you'll be cleansed. So he goes off of this slave girl's faith, travels all the way to the prophet's house, gets to the house... The prophet says, go wash yourself seven times in the river. 
And look at his response in verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abnar and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash it, wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. See, he had traveled all the way to the prophet's house. It wasn't his faith, it was her faith that started him on this journey. It wasn't his faith, it was his desperate hope that he can be cleansed. But now that he's arrived, he has to act on his faith and no longer her faith. You see, there's going to come a time in every one of our lives where our personal relationship with God is going to be called to the carpet. We can go off of other people for quite a while sometimes. But there's going to come a point where it's you and God alone. And hopefully it won't be on judgment day when we face that for the first time. But then he goes up there and he says he's arrived and apparently his personal faith wasn't strong enough to obtain God's blessing. Remember, God wants to bless those who earnestly seek him. He sought the Lord, but it wasn't earnestly. It was a little bit of selfishness in there. It was so God could take care of me and help me to be better. But see, he went there now in time for his own faith to show and he couldn't receive the blessing. Why? Why would Naaman go all the way to Israel, get upset, and turn around and go home? Why would he come so close to the power of God and then turn away? That's the same thing a lot of people do when they study the Bible. They are going there, I'm going to be a disciple, I'm going to do whatever, I'll die for Jesus. Let's talk about your sin. Whoa, slow down. I don't believe you have to confess anything. No, you ain't got to tell the whole church. We ain't announcing your stuff. But you need to talk about who you are, you and God and whoever's helping you. Well, I can talk about it, but now it's time to give it up. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute now. That's, you're getting too deep in my life. And then we never see him again. Same people who was in church singing all those wonderful songs. How amazing. God, God. Yeah, yeah. And then it comes time for you to show it in your life. Because see, people can come and they visit and they can live off of all the emotion and faith that they see around them. But when you walk out the doors, it's just you and God. Even those that are members, you can come here and it's easy to be a strong Christian in church. But then when you walk out those doors, how strong a Christian are you? See, there was something that stood between Naaman and God. See, there's things that stand between all of us and God. If there was nothing between you and God, do you realize how great a relationship it'd be? Again, like Adam and God in the Garden of Eden, just walking peacefully, nothing to worry about. They just enjoying life. But then something came and stood in the way between Adam and God. There is something, and it's different for all of us, that stands between us and God. Some of it is a relationship. Some of it, you don't want to give up pornography on a computer or your phone. Some of it, you don't want to quit smoking weed. It's legal in some states. The Lord legalized it. It'll get here eventually. 
Some people don't want to stop gambling. Some people don't want to stop immorality. Some people don't want to stop cussing. I mean, the list goes on. It's different for everybody. But if you really want to take an evaluation, you ask yourself, what stands between me and God? Why am I not up early to pray every morning? Why am I not up early to read the word of God? Because he wants to bless me. Why am I not eagerly seeking him? I don't know. It's different for everybody. But there's one thing that stood between Naaman and God, and that's his pride. His pride stood in the way of him and God. You know what? That might be some of our problems today. Some of us may be so prideful, we're not nearly the man or woman of God that we could be. He arrives with horses and chariots. He arrives with an entourage of people. Great gifts to honor this prophet of God. When he arrives, this so-called prophet sends out a messenger. A messenger. Again, look at what he says in verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand a call in the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. He says, what nerve does this man have sending a messenger to come talk to me? You got to see, he has so much pride that he would... Re- I'm sorry, that looked like somebody. I don't want to do that. My bad. He has so much pride that he would rather spend the rest of his life with leprosy than to endure a little bit of disrespect from this so-called Christian man. You know, sometimes we can look at somebody and because they are in the church or say they're a Christian, we deserve more respect from them than what they give. That's how we are sometimes. His pride made him so angry that he walked away from God. I, I can't tell you how many people I've studied the Bible with and they got so upset that they just quit studying and left. Literally one time when I lived in Oklahoma, a guy stood up and swung at me. I ducked underneath this punch. We ended all that real quick and easy. But he was so angry that I just called him on his immorality that he got up swinging. Now that's the uh, now it ended in a good story because I restored him to the Lord and did a wedding for him. So it ended pretty good. But that night wasn't that good. But this is how much pride we can have. We can get so angry. You say, I would never get like that. Well, here's something even worse. You can be so angry that you hold your heart and love back from another member in the congregation. You don't throw a blow, but you pull everything else back. You no longer hug them. You no longer love them. You no longer talk to them. You don't call them. You don't fellowship with them. You don't do nothing. But see, that's when we become those Pharisees because you can't see that swing coming But yet, it's that inward heart pulling back. That's even worse. See, this is where we got to look at. His pride made him turn away from God. You know, this is one reason why so many people walk away from God. They can live as a disciple even 10, 20 years. But that pride can come in. 
Because see, pride is 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 is. is, is, is. <laughs> it talks about pride in uh, uh, Psalm seventy three verse six. It says, uh, "We wear pride like a necklace." You know what that is? When you have on a necklace, everybody can see it, but you. And the Bible, look at Psalm, turn over to Psalm 73. We're going to come back to that. I want to show you that. I want to just tell you, turn over to Psalm 73. Verse 6, I believe it is. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves in violence. Pride being your necklace. You know, there's times that... The thing about pride is that most of the people that are being prideful don't see it. Because it's their necklace. And everybody else can see that shining, bright necklace that they're wearing. And see, this is what we got to understand. Pride just comes up when we have ungrateful hearts. A proud person is someone who is accustomed to believing in themselves. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll come back to 2 Kings, but Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10 through 17. This is what the Lord is talking to his people about. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied... Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and you have all and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. You know, we can get prideful, we can get content, happy, we call it complacent. Because we finally, we may not have arrived to, you know, the lotto winning numbers, but you've arrived at a place that, you know what, life is actually pretty good. That's when it can become dangerous. And a lot of times we know life is good, but we don't always give credit to God. We just say things are good. You know what, God is good. God gave you those things. Sometimes we as Christians don't even talk about God. We talk about things, but we don't give God the credit for these things. You get a new car, your marriage is going well, your kids graduate, they happy, 
We don't thank God for those things. But when it's hard, oh God, help me with this kid, this baby kid. I don't know where this kid came from. Ooh, they gave me, they switched him up at the hospital. Hey, my child. We want to blame everybody. But when it's good, we got to give credit to God. So think about it, name it. He didn't want anybody, he wanted this guy to fix his situation. He goes to Elijah for healing. He didn't come there to hear about God. He came there to get healed real quick and easy. You think about it. He had all his camels. He had all his money. He's going to go through there. Here, boom, boom, boom. Hook me up, clear me up, and I'm out. He wanted a drive-through healing. That's about how everything is. You get a drive-through food. You get drive-through weddings. You get drive-through everything. He wanted a drive-through healing. Let me pay you for it. Then let me go. He wants to talk about God. Go wash yourself. He said, why I got to wash myself in that dirty water? You want me in some backwood county in Jerusalem? No, 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 no. How about up north where it's a lot cleaner up north? He didn't want that. He was so upset that he said forget it and was going to walk away. Again, let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 5. Finally, he got talked into it by his... A little slave girl. You know what? If he had told you to do something else, you'd have done it. Why don't you just do that? His attitude changes. In the verse 15, 2 Kings 5, 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early. No, no, I'm in the wrong chapter. Okay. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept the thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, Naaman said, Please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple, forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Elijah said, go in peace. You know, after he's humbled because of his cleansing, he comes to his senses. And he wants to take a piece of the Lord with him. Why? Because as soon as he got that humility in his heart, the first thing he started thinking is, how does my life need to change when I get home? And the prophet didn't say anything to him about it. He's already thinking how he should repent. How he should be different. But when I have to bow down, please forgive that. Let me take this. I'm going to make altars. It. I mean, he has a humility in his heart. Yeah. Guys, we got to think, even now as we're talking, what are some things we got to start changing? Yeah. Has anybody told me I'm prideful lately? Has my wife told me, my husband, has my roommate, has my uh, classmate, has anybody been talking to me about my pride? Maybe I need to look deeper at myself. Am I wearing a necklace of pride? we've got to understand it's important for us to deal with our pride sometimes we talk about pride as if it's not really a sin 
Oh, I'm sorry. I was just being prideful. I'm sorry. My fault. Well, wait a minute. All sins the same. You know why I walk around? Oh, I, I just, I'm, I'm just a child molester. Don't worry about it. That's my fault. You don't do that. And sin is sin. But we talk about pride like it's no big deal. I'm prideful. You know how it is. We all, everybody in my family is prideful. <laughs> that's not something we need to joke about, guys. Because that same pride will turn you away from God and send you to hell for eternity. We've got to deal with this stuff. So the first thing that stood between Naaman and God was his pride. The second thing was the result of his pride. He wanted God's blessing, but get this. He only wanted it on his terms. Again, he wanted to go there, the man come out, wave his hands over his spot and cleanse him. He wanted to be blessed by God on his terms. But God tells Naaman that he needs to go down to the Jordan and dunk himself seven times. You know, again, this is why a lot of people turn away from Christianity. Because it's not about showing up for church. It's not about showing up for Bible talk or Devo. It's about you obeying God's will. In other words, Naaman wanted God to heal him, but he didn't want to have to obey God to get it done. A lot of us are like that. Again, you got to remember, what's God's will? God's will is his promises to you in the Bible. That's what his will is. You know, uh, in the Christian magazine, there was a survey given that says the most influential spiritual leader in the United States was not Billy Graham, uh, was not the Pope, it was Oprah Winfrey. Because more people are willing to listen to Oprah Winfrey than to the Word of God. Think about it. More people listen to Steve Harvey than to the Word of God. Most people get up and look at the lotto numbers instead of the book of numbers. Most people get up and listen to Cardi B instead of Jesus C. That's what they do all the time. As if those things are going to get us to heaven. They're not getting us to heaven. It may take you the other direction. So when we're faced with the word of God, we got to make a decision. Am I going to obey it? See, Naaman's problem, he had been so used to listening to all those false prophets back at home that when the word of God was actually spoken to him, he ignored it. He couldn't deal with it. We're so used to listening to everything else that when the word of God is talked to us, we ignore it. We don't understand it. This is why we got to spend time in the Word of God. We've got to spend time in it. We can't live off of what, what did he preach about this Sunday? What did, what did he hear? What do you mean? Go listen to it. I wasn't there. Listen online. You, there's so many. We have so many opportunities to get into the Word of God today. You got computers. You got your phones. You got people. I mean, there's so many different ways. We have no excuse for not getting into the Word of God. In the book of Psalms, David praises God time and time again. That's all he talked about. But again, look in verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? You know, obeying God isn't usually hard. 
It's just difficult because there are things about God that we look at and think that doesn't make sense. Let me give you some scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 4.18. 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. People look at that and say that doesn't make any sense. How am I going to fix my eyes on something I can't see? Well to the world that looks stupid. But he's talking about the second mile. That spiritual perspective. He's talking about beyond what you can see. He talks about in Romans 6 verse 16. We conquer by becoming slaves. He's like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. I become a slave? Yeah, a slave to Christ and you become a conqueror of this world. In Luke 9, 48, we are made great by becoming like little children. He said, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Little children can't even take care of themselves. But you know how humble and honest little children are? Well, they'll come up to you in a minute. Ooh, you got a booger in your nose. They tell you everything real quick and easy. And you know what? Little kids, they play with everybody. It doesn't matter what color, what race, whatever. They can get along with everybody. And then when you do them wrong, they are so quick to forgive you. You apologize, you give them one of them hugs, them kids have forgot all about it, they're ready to go get ice cream. They go, they happy about life. That's why we need to become like little children. See, when you get older, you start holding grudges. You start wanting to retaliate. Little kids don't want to retaliate. They just want to play. They want to have fun. It says in Matthew 23, 12, we are exalted by becoming humble. You think, what? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, but it does. In God's eyes. In 1 Corinthians 1, 20, we become wise by becoming fools. What? Yeah, you can be a fool for Christ. And that's the best, smartest thing you could ever do in your life. It says 2 Corinthians 12.10 We become strong by becoming weak well, What does that mean? How, how can that be? You know what? If you even share your weaknesses You know how much strength it takes to be open With what's wrong in your life There's enough fake people out there That confront But you are real and who you are That takes a lot of strength See it takes courage to tell people the truth But it takes more courage to tell the friend of yours the truth We live by dying John 12, 24 What does that mean? You know what? If you die to yourself, you live for Christ You can live by dying Acts 20, 35 We receive more blessings from giving than receiving People are like, whoa, whoa, you about to mess up my Christmas. You get more blessings by giving than receiving. See, this doesn't make sense unless you trust in God. That same God I've never seen? Yeah, fix your eyes on what is not seen. If you're trying to fix your eyes on what is seen, it's going to become a man-driven issue. We can't focus on man. We have got to focus on God. We tried it with man, and it didn't go too well. You know what? We all had to repent and get our focus back on us and God and not on anybody else around us. I suspect the fact that God, God's reality is different than ours is one that God began to teach us at the very beginning of our relationship with him. I mean, again, consider how illogical baptism is. For you to get baptized in water, that's supposed to 
take you deep into your soul and cleanse you of all those cussing, lying, smoking, drinking, sinful things you did. That makes no sense. We go home, take a bath, get out. There's all kind of rings around the tub. That's about as far as we can get. We're cleansing ourselves. But this is what God talks about and starts out our salvation about. Being baptized into Christ. Therefore, we're baptized into his death. And then just as he is raised, we are raised. Baptism is a key essential for us. It's not the only thing. Because if you don't change, that baptism is just taking a bath and having a ring around the tub. But if you repent and are baptized, the salvation of the Lord is there for you. But people fight it. You think about Naaman. He's like, I don't want to dip seven times. Why not three? Or maybe four? Why seven? Was it really the issue of him dipping seven times? No. The issue of, are you going to obey what God said? See, that was the issue. And a lot of times, people make issues of things that aren't even an issue. They are talking about that. Why we do this? Why are we singing those songs? Why are you preaching like that? Well, I want to go back to the second mile. I want to have this. Is that the issue? Or is the issue you don't want to obey what the Word of God is talking to you about today? I don't know about you. When I'm preaching, I feel like I'm talking to myself so many times. You may be sitting out there thinking, boy, he knows something. He got, he uh, mic'd my house. He know what I'm talking about in my house. And No, that's just God trying to help us all because we all jacked up and we all need God. It was in obeying God's command and trusting that God would be faithful to his word is what cleansed Naaman. Again, God's will, his promises to you. He promises you hope in a future. To prosper you, not to harm you. To forgive your sins. Separate them as far as the east is from the west. These are the promises he gives. That's God's will for your life. He has so many good things for your life. There's some consequences if we don't obey them. But you read through it, there's so many blessings and reassurances for us. It's so many times. 365 times in the Bible it says, be strong and courageous. That's one for every day of your year. God wants you to be strong and courageous. But we have to obey and trust in Him. Let me leave you with that. God's will is His promises. How do I follow God's will? Obey His word. It really is simple to be a Christian. Obey His word. But the issue comes down to, am I willing to do it? Or am I like Naaman? If it's not going to be my way, then I got issues with it. Well, there can only be one true God. And it's not anybody in this room. Until we come to grips with that, we will never obey the Lord fully. Let God be God. Let us follow in his words. To God be the glory. Amen.